You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. My name is Frank. I'm the family pastor here, and I just want to say it's great to see people. Um, Yesterday, the student ministry did something called Mission Columbia, and students all across the city were at different work sites, um, blessing and loving on the city. And I was with juniors and seniors, and I got a, a minute just to kind of be pastoral in between the working, and I was sitting with some some students, and I said, I know it's fun to rag school and talk about how bad school is, and it's a drag, but don't you guys miss school now? Aren't you appreciative for school? And they were like, oh, we can't wait to go back. We'd give anything to go back to school. And then I said, don't you just love being together? Like, don't you think sometimes we took for granted being together in the, in the body of Christ together at church? And they're like, yes, we miss that. And so I miss you. I love people. I just want to be with people all the time. And so it's good to see your face. I don't know what the last five or six months have been like for you. Maybe you're watching an abundance of uh, Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. I know I have. When it first started, I thought it'd be cool to watch all of the pandemic movies like Outbreak and World War Z and I'm Legend and Contagion and all that stuff. And then that got real old. And then I was just looking for good shows and then I'm trying to get into a routine and I think I'm in it now. And so I don't know what you've been doing. I'm glad to see you and I'm glad we're back together. I want to give you a message of hope this morning. It's based out of 2 Corinthians 10. So if you have your Bibles and if you brought something to write with, that would be really cool too. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 10 verses uh, 3 through 6. And so we will get there in just a minute. But while I was watching tons of movie and I'm a movie connoisseur, I love good Movies. I got into a friendly discussion about movies, a very friendly discussion. And the discussion was on who are the greatest actors and actresses of all time, just the the Rushmore of this. And then we wanted to know who was the greatest of all time. And I had heard some of the regular names, but I was locked and loaded, ready to share who my guy is. Okay, so I'm going to tell you who my guy is. I think Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Raise it. Ra- yes. Okay. I love Denzel. I could watch Denzel watch paint dry, and I would nominate that man for an Academy Award. I love it. So, I, so I'm ready. I'm locked and loaded. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. What about this movie? What about this movie? What about, and I'm just naming all these movies. I started with his most critically acclaimed. Then I went to his, like, um, the movies that not a lot of people knew but were great. George mentioned Remember the Titans a couple weeks ago. That movie's awesome. And so I'm like, I got him. I win. So I'm ready for Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep or Marlon Brando. Come on, bring it on. Let's go. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you who it is. It's Leonardo DiCaprio, all-time best actor ever. And I, I mean, I'm stunned. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I just quickly throw that to the side. I'm like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, no, you got to take this seriously. I'm like, okay, well, what, what's your argument? So he starts naming the critically acclaimed movies. And in my head, all I can think is Titanic, which I never saw because I know how it ends. So I was like, why am I going to go there? The world went to go see Titanic. I still have, I'm like the only guy that's never seen it. If they make a sequel, maybe I'll go. But I didn't see it. 
So, so he's like, Titanic. I'm like, get out of here with that junk. What else do you have? And this man starts assaulting me with movie after movie that I forgot that Leonardo DiCaprio was in. And he's naming it. And I'm like, dang, I do need to take this argument seriously. These are good movies he was in. And then he named one that really resonated well with me. And he goes, and what about Inception? And I was like, Inception? Now, I got to be, be honest, full disclosure, Inception is the only movie that I went back twice in the theaters to see because that movie will mess with your brain if you've not seen it. I'll give you the quick synopsis. It's all about the dream world, and they claim they can go into a dream, within a dream, within a, within a dream, three layers deep. And if you go four, that's limbo you ain't getting out. But this is what it's about. It took the writers 10 years to write this movie. So I went into it, I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. I went back, I'm like, I still can't figure this out. I've seen it 20 times, I still don't know if I've gotten all of it. But I was like, yeah, that's a good movie. Now I still think I won with Denzel, but he made a great case, and it made me remember Inception. And I'll never forget something that Leo says to make his case, to pitch his product in the beginning of the movie, And I want to show you a clip of that because I think the scripture talks a lot about that as well. So watch this, and if you miss it, I'll rehash it. But this is a quick clip from the movie Inception. What is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? Uh, what Mr. Cobb is trying to say. An idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks right in there somewhere. That's a profound thought, especially in the midst of a pandemic. What is the most contagious? What is the most viral thing? Is it a disease? And he says it's an idea. And you know, I think when I read the scriptures, I think that God agrees. I think that we are attacked incessantly from all angles with ideas that get in. And once they get into our brain, they stick. They're almost impossible to eradicate. And the Apostle Paul says, yep, that's true. But I want to tell you how you can eradicate ideas that are like viruses and even worse. So here's the overview for the morning. We're going to stand in just a minute, and we're going to read 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. We're going to pray. We're going to break down these four verses, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what these verses mean. So we're going to try to come to the right meaning together as we exegete the passage. And then I'm going to lay a challenge on you that I laid at first hour, and hopefully you will be inspired to take a step of faith. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, and then I'm going to ask you to remain standing as we pray. This is what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience 
when your obedience is complete. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray now in a time of um, high anxiety, high worry, high uncertainty, um, division, whatever may be going on in the outside world around us, and these ideas are coming at us. Father, I pray that we can take this passage now and learn something amazing from it so that the divine word can do a divine work in our lives and we can walk away more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, even before we came in today. So bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Have a seat. Maybe you've started to see how Paul is talking about ideas here. Maybe you can see the connection. Maybe you can see how Paul also says an idea is like a virus. What I want to do really quickly is I want to go through these four verses. So look back at verse three, okay? We need to start with what he's talking about. Paul is talking in the we, and if you look at it in context, he's talking about the apostles. The apostles are doing some work. They're spreading the word. They're planting churches. And he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So the first thing he wants the Corinthian church to know, and you and I need to know this, you ready? We are in a spiritual war. And now before you go, yeah, I knew it, COVID-19 was a spiritual war. Let me say this. We are always in a spiritual war. We're always in spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, that we're supposed to always be on guard and standing strong. Sometimes we can see the spiritual battle a little bit clearer than others, but we're always in a spiritual battle, and we are most certainly in one right now. And Paul wants to let the church know that even though we are humans and even though we're in the world, this war we're fighting is not of the flesh. It is a spiritual war. So that's first. We're in a spiritual battle. Number four, he says, verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So Paul concludes, since I'm in a spiritual war, I need a spiritual weapon. I am unleashing a spiritual weapon. And he and the apostles were given direct revelation from God in order to unleash that to people. They were unleashing the gospel and they were unleashing these letters that was direct revelation and sending them to the churches. He's like, we're fighting with the source is from God. The source is from God and this is the divine weapon we are unleashing. And when we do this, when God gives this to us, we're tearing down strongholds. Now he wants to tell us what these strongholds are like. Look at verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's saying, we, the apostles, are going in and just with God's help and with the truth God gives us, we're destroying arguments. These arguments that set themselves up to oppose God. Man, they're preaching the gospel. Man, they're unleashing the truth. And they are knocking down these arguments. You look at Paul and and Apollos, and they're in the temple, and they're debating, and they're arguing, and God is their source. And it's not their logic. It's not their reasoning. He's saying God is giving us this source. The gospel, we're told in Romans 1.16, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes first to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is powerful. And do you remember when you were an unbeliever? I know I was. 
rewind the clock. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, rewind the clock for when you were an unbeliever. Do you remember some of the, the, the viral bacterial ideas in your head that were in there and they set themselves up as opposition to God? Do you remember what you used to say? I remember what I used to say. I thought, the thought that I had that was like a virus in my head was that Christianity is going to steal my fun. Once I do this, once I bend the knee and confess Christ as Lord, then I'm going to have to sing hymns, I'm going to have to read the Bible, be in church 24-7, do's and don'ts, and it's, it's going to be a terrible life. And so I had this stronghold, and I was going, no, God, I don't want you. Stay out. No. And the scriptures talk about, wow, that's a really bacterial bad idea because Jesus came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And so the scriptures are tearing down my ideas and making my thoughts obey Christ. They're being taken captive. And that's what he's talking about. He's not talking to the church saying, you need to take your thoughts captive. He's saying, we are taking thoughts captive as we go out and unleash the truth of the word of God. I've heard this verse kind of be like a self-help verse. Like I'm supposed to lay back. There's a thought. Okay, I'm going to take it captive. Okay, now come here. All right, obey Jesus. That's kind of what I've heard this preached as. But Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. We are fighting a war directly from God as the source and we're tearing down strongholds and we're taking these thoughts captive and we're making them obey Christ. And look what it says in verse six. He says this to the church. They are ready to punish every disobedience. The apostles, when the obedience of the Corinthian church is complete. So he wants them to keep moving toward obedience. But there's a lot of ideas. And if you want to read the most dysfunctional and the sickest church, probably in all of the New Testament, it's Corinth. Paul's writing two letters and they're like, this dude is harsh and he is mean. Keep reading down chapter 10. And he's talking about his letters as scaring them. And he's like, you guys got some bad ideas. You got some bad ideas and you need to have those thoughts corrected. Now, how do we live this out if Paul is the the active agent who's taking thoughts captive and making them obey Christ? If you and I are not the ones doing that, how do we live that out? And this is where we're gonna switch now and try to make these verses have some kind of meaning and application in our life in case we have ideas in our minds like viruses, and we do. The idea is not that you're supposed to take your thoughts captive. You ready? Here's my main idea for my sermon. The idea is that you are supposed to put the teachings of the word of God in front of you and let them take your thoughts captive. You are supposed to, like the man whose face is in the mirror, have things reflected back in front of you. And the Spirit of God says, ooh, you need this. You need to take this in. And if that's the way you approach it, then Paul is doing what he was doing in Corinth. He's, he's smashing your arguments. Your thoughts are being taken captive and put in subjection to Christ. And your obedience is becoming complete. Can I tell you, church? I told you you're in a spiritual warfare and it's not just now. You're always in a spiritual warfare. When you kneel to Christ and confess him, Satan doesn't lay off you. I think he goes after even more. Not for your soul because I do believe once you've crossed that line, you're secure in Christ. But I do think Satan wants to discourage a believer. 
I do think Satan wants to dismay a believer, dismantle a believer, keep a believer in fear and anxiety and make them ineffective for Christ. And right now there are a lot of thoughts swirling in our head. And when we turn on the news, oh, the news, and social media, and we're watching these things, these ideas are getting into our head, and it's a spiritual battle. And we're always in a spiritual battle. And you might be anxious right now. Your anxiety level might be the highest it's ever been. How do you fight against it? Well, I'm not a psychologist, and so I'm not going to go there. But I will say that a lot of anxiety stems from mistruths. And I do know that Satan is the father of lies, Jesus says in John 8, 44. He looks at the Pharisees and says, you're of your father, the devil. He is a liar from the beginning. When he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. I know that all Satan wants to do is lie to us, lie to us. These are the wiles of the devil. That's why when you put on the armor of God, you know what the first thing you're supposed to put on is? The belt of truth. The belt of truth because Satan is coming at you with lies and lies and lies. And we have a, we have a biblical literacy problem in the church. I just saw a Lifeway poll that said that 90% of evangelical Christians believe that the Bible is definitely helpful, the word of God, divine power, have a highly favorable view of it. But only 45% admitted to reading it once a week. And we're not even sure if that means Sunday when they're just in service. 90% say it's divine, it's of God, it's supposed to guide me. 45% only read it once a week. And so my challenge to you is this, and then I'm going to give you an illustration. My challenge to you is to expose yourself to large passages of scripture and then even take one step farther and start to memorize it and meditate on scripture. And I think the truth now combats the lies. And so I want to give you an illustration because I don't hear, at least I don't in my circles, people like learning large amounts of scripture. What we usually do is we latch on to that one verse that we really like, that we've heard repeated over and over and over again, and we love that one verse. And what we do is we rip it out from its friends, its neighbors, its context, and we go, I love this one. Yeah. I wonder how many large passages of scripture, complete thoughts, do you have memorized right now? That if it was like the book of Eli and all the Bibles were taken off the face of the planet and we had to reproduce it based on what was in your head, how much could you reproduce? I find it's the one verse method. And for that, I want to give you an illustration to kind of caution you as a pastor to just say, maybe you need to think about that. I do the majority of cooking in our house, and um, I love to explore new kind of dishes. And so I, I wanted to start cooking more Asian cuisine because I love ramen, and I love, um, I love a red Thai curry. I love that dish. And so I looked them up, and every, or close to, all the dishes that I loved called for something called fish sauce. Raise your hand if you have ever worked with fish sauce. Please, raise your hand. I'd like to know. Okay, all right. Fish sauce is the most ungodly smelling thing I think the world has ever known. 
It smells like death. It smells like dirty feet in a bottle. I don't know how else. It's like, it's like they were like, what do you think we should call this? Uh, fish sauce, because it's exactly what you would expect it to smell like. I remember going to World Market, and I was like, man, I can't wait to get me some fish sauce. And so I come back, and I'm cooking. And I'm putting the soy in, and the ginger in, and the lemongrass, and the garlic. And I'm just, I am ready. And I'm like, all right, let me get this. And I love the smells of the kitchen. And I, like an idiot, didn't know what it was, so I took the lid off and went. (laughs) I almost passed out. I almost threw up. Erica thought a dead animal uh, was in the house. She's like, something's dead. Something's dead. We got to find this animal. The kids are like, dad, what is that? Fish sauce is the grossest thing I've ever smelled, ever. Ever. Scott Kelly came to me on the front. I was like, have you ever smelled it? He's like, no. And he, uh, he smelled it. And then he went, man, I think I just lost my salvation. That's what he said. It, it is awful. Fish sauce is awful. And no one in their right mind would go, let me get a swig of that. Ooh, I love the aroma. It's good. And I think, listen to the full thought. I think when we take one verse out of scripture, it's the equivalent of drinking fish sauce. Because we were never meant to just take one verse out. These are complete thoughts that the writers want us to know. And they have a unified thought that that is supposed to get into my mind. And so if you take a swig of fish sauce, it might have dire consequences. You say, well, can there be dire consequences to memorize in just one verse? Yes. I was a youth pastor in my first year. And a girl um, just said, I need to talk to you right now stormed in the office and tears in her eyes, she said, I've had this verse memorized since I can remember. And she quoted it. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Didn't know what came before, didn't know what came after. And and something happened very bad in her life. She said, God promised me based on this verse that this wouldn't happen. He's a liar. I can't trust God. I'm gone. And based on her one fish sauce verse, she believed something, and then when reality didn't comport to it, she was gone. And so I would say to you, be very careful. Be very careful. Could you memorize John 3.16? Yes. Be very, very careful of taking one verse out and memorizing it. I've heard somebody say, never memorize just one verse. These verses have a unified thought, so here's my challenge for you. When is the last time you got yourself in front of the word and said, okay, do what I need done. Here's my face, here's the mirror. Go ahead, discern my thoughts and my intents of my heart. You're a sharp, two-edged sword, able to, dis- to divide soul and spirit, join and marrow. Do, it. do what only the word can do. Here I am, David says, if there be any presumptuous sin, you make it known right now. And Paul's like, oh, we're about to tear down your walls and take those thoughts captive. When was the last time in in the last seven days you spent a good amount of time in Scripture letting it do divinely what it can do? When? 45%, so they only read it once a week. We don't know how much, and we don't know if it's on Sundays. Now, here's an even tougher question. How much is in your head? How much is in your head that when the viral bacterial thought that's a lie that causes anxiety is there, there is something to counteract it. Yes, we have amazing access to our Bibles on our phones and wherever we need it, 
But I find that I get attacked at the most inopportune times, like when I'm driving. Probably not a good idea to whip out the phone or your Bible and read it actually here. I'd love it if it was in my head. Like when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. Like when I'm in meeting. There's a lot of places in which I can't do that. At that point, how much is in here? I wonder for you, how much is in your head? What's the largest passage of scripture you have memorized? You know, you can do this. I've, I've heard a lot of people say they can't, but I'm telling you, Christians throughout church history have done this. Jesus rolls up on the scene and Satan tempts him three times, and what does he do? It is written, it is written, it is written. Paul says, it is written. You see Christians are quoting scripture all the time. So when you have a thought, I'm gonna give you some of my thoughts, ready? Because I'm a believer, but I still get attacked daily. I'm in a spiritual war. And when I look at the news and social media and COVID-19 and I get so caught up in the earthly, in the temporal, and I start to think these things, what's in my mind to combat it? What do I have that keeps me having a heavenly perspective? If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put away all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man who's in his deeds and put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore is the elect of God Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, humility, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has an offense against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts into one body in which also you are called and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom, speaking and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, through God the Father, in him. I I don't do that to brag. I do that because I'm in a spiritual war. And when these thoughts get in my head and I'm just so caught up in the finite, I need something that has divine power. And I don't need Netflix. And I don't need the news. I don't need the news. And when I look around and I see the ungodly flourishing and I go, that looks attractive. Why am I over here serving the Lord and I'm not succeeding like that? When that stronghold and that viral idea comes into my head and I start to believe it, what do I have that can eradicate it? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. 
and he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, for they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I need that. I need that when I look around and I see this and then an idea gets into my head and Satan is telling me lies. I need the writers of scripture to unleash that divine weapon in my own life. Do you? And I'll tell you I'm working on one now because I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried with the state of the church and the state of the nation and the state of this and the state of that. I worry. Satan lies to me every day. What do you have when you worry? What do you have when you're anxious? What is it when you're laying in bed at night and you're tossing and turning and you're overcome with anxiety or you're driving? What comes in and can eradicate that thought? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food in the body, clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they are? Which of you by worrying can add one hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon, even in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. And so if God clothes the grass, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore I say to you, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your father knows what you need. He knows you need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own struggle. I'm in a spiritual battle every day, and so are you. And you might think you're just now in a new one because of COVID-19, but you're not. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've always been in one for an enemy that hates you and wants you to be ineffective. And may I just say, if you're here and you don't know Christ and you have strongholds, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for your sin is the most powerful thing you could ever hear that will tear down your walls. But I want to ask you a question now. I want to ask you to join me in a challenge. Would you consider in the next seven days, would you consider turning off Netflix? Would you consider getting off your phone? And would you consider memorizing a large passage of scripture with one complete thought in it and take that into your head and do like Psalm 1 says meditate on it day and night because the promise is that you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water the church needs this we need this I need this I think anxiety is high And if you want to combat anxiety, I'm not a psychologist, this is not a silver bullet, but I can tell you truth definitely helps anxiety because I think anxiety has stemmed a lot from lies. Would you be willing in the next seven days to take this challenge and memorize scripture? In that battle, Leonardo, I mean, when we talked about Denzel and Leo, Leo says, 
There's something more contagious than a disease or a bacteria. It's called an idea. And yours and my heads are filled with them. And they need to be called to the carpet on a daily basis. Exposure to the word and taking the word in. So I ask you, what do you have that will eradicate it? If you think you're going to grab it and pull it down with your logic and your reason, you won't. But if you want to do what Paul says, let him and let the writers of scripture do what they do because God gave them this divine weapon, then you'll, you'll spend some time in the word and you will spend some time memorizing scripture. If you do that, email me. I want to hear from you. I want, I want to hear how it went. I want to hear the passage you picked. If you need to know a passage like, I struggle with anger, I struggle with lust, I struggle with worry, I'll help you. But it's a, worth, it's a, it's a worthwhile venture to take the word of God and put it into your head. I pray that you'll do it. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I, I imagine there are a lot of people just ridden with anxiety. And we have an enemy who lies to us on a daily basis from all angles and it causes anxiety. And we need in this spiritual war a spiritual weapon that can tear down strongholds, that can take our thoughts and take them captive and make them obedient to Christ so that our obedience will continue. So Father, I'm praying for somebody. I'm praying that your spirit has moved in their hearts, that they see the power of the word of God that can thoroughly equip them for every good work, that can rebuke, that can train, that can encourage, that can instruct. I pray that they'll take in the word. They'll meditate on it. They'll memorize it. And then I know the divine power in scripture that you gave will do what only it can do. So Father, I pray for the church. I pray that many will accept this challenge and we will live a life of overcoming the wiles of the devil as we wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. May that be true in my life first in the church. In Jesus' name, I pray, the one in which we want all of our thoughts to be in subject to him. It's in his name I pray.